If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for the last uh, three weeks, including this week, now fourth week, we will be uh, unpacking this passage of Scripture that is so familiar to many. It's likely you've heard it read at a wedding, um, and it's so uh, familiar that I'm fearful that it's more familiar than it is actually practiced. And so that's why it's important for us to talk about this. Uh, during February, we've been unpacking this passage of Scripture as it relates to our relationships with one another and the way that we love one another. And we know that this can be complicated in our culture today because that word love is used in so many differing types of scenarios. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. I love Chicago sports. I know you might not agree. A few do. Thank you. And I love Chicago sports. I also love Chicago-style pizza. Okay, a few more perhaps. If you haven't had it, you need to go try Giordano's downtown. You won't be disappointed, and one piece will fill you up. It's so awesome. Um, I love fly fishing. It's just something I enjoy to do. I love living here in Castle Rock. Okay, we're getting better. We're getting better. I'll tell you what else I love. I love the staff of this church. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I love my wife. Somebody better cheer about that. I'm crazy about her. Yeah, I love her. And I love God. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. But you have to see when we talk about the things that we love or that we're passionate about, I better love um, Chicago-style pizza in a different way that I love Beth. Don't you agree? Or fly fishing and God. If we get these mixed up, then things really don't work the way they were intended to work. But that's also the complexity of this word that, that we've been looking at over the last several weeks together. And we've been trying to understand what, what it means to love like God loves. And so that's why we've been looking at this passage of Scripture. And, and we also have been looking at this truth from Scripture that communicates those that choose to follow Christ should love differently, that our love should be different. As a matter of fact, Scripture says if there was any way for us to be able to know how we are doing as a disciple of following Jesus, one of the litmus tests for that would be how we love, and that the love that we live with should be remarkably different than the world around us. John, or Jesus said this in John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, we look different as Christ followers because of the way that we love. So to understand this love, to understand God's love for us and our um, and, and the need that we have to emulate this love, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when we read this list, it's very common for us to think to ourselves, if you're like me, boy, do I want to be loved that way. Because we read this list and it's beautiful. And we think, gosh, this is what, how I want everyone else to love me. And then we realize that really what we need to do is, is as well pay attention to how we're loving those around us and that, that those that are in our lives have a, a desire, a God-given desire inside of them to be loved this way too. And so there's a responsibility in each of our lives to be able to understand this. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, love is patient. Who doesn't want to be loved that way? Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. 
What we've also been talking about for the last several weeks is that we can't just draw these on a piece of paper, write all these down and create for ourselves a checklist, and then in our own strength and our own power work really hard to see this kind of love coming to fruition because it won't happen. Instead, what we need to understand is that there needs to be a different source of, of strength, a different source of power that enables us to be able to love this way. And, and, and we know that's true. Uh, John wrote this in 1 John chapter 4, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, now look at this, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. There's something else for those that have said yes to Jesus that have understood his love for us and accepted it and embraced it, that it changes us and it gives us, not in our own strength, but because of his power at work in us, this capacity to love in a completely different way. Can't be done on our own. <clears throat> and we can't uh, ever be expected to love like that in our own effort. So last week, and then again this week, because I want to unpack it just a little bit more, our main thought has been this. To love God's way, I need to know God's love. To love this way, I need to know God's love. And today we're going to finish up this passage, the verses that are describing this love, and hopefully my prayer is that I will help you get to know God's love a little bit better, to reconnect with it, and, and then this will become the life source for you and I, enabling us to love with an extraordinary kind of love. So this, this, there's a responsibility in this, and so again, I want to unpack these last two thoughts in verses 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 tells us that this God kind of love also looks like this. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. In order for us to understand what he's communicating here, I think it would be appropriate for us to just be reminded of the context of this letter. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth, and Corinth was a community that was known to be a relative godless community. There was a lot of idolatry in this community, and these people that had given their hearts to the Lord were forming this church in Corinth, and that's that they were struggling to be able to sort through some of their old behaviors and their old lifestyle and trying to reconcile that with their new faith. There was also pervasive uh, sexual promiscuity in their community. There was all kinds of craziness that were part of that. Sexual immorality was the norm. Kind of sounds a little bit like our culture, doesn't it? And so what had happened is, as these individuals much like you and I, are struggling to overcome our past and to be able to live in a way that would honor God. Some of these things had worked their way into the church, and so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, let me tell you as well about this crazy, unbelievably awesome love of our God. You see, this love also is a love that understands the importance of truth and rejoices when truth wins out. And this love is also unique because it does not rejoice about injustice. And so the whole idea here is that Paul was teaching that this love does not enjoy or delight in actions that are unrighteous, but it finds joy in righteousness. And so there's something unique about this kind of love. It sounds a lot like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. You see, there's something about this love that, 
that despises evil and loves God's truth. True love rejoices in what is right and what is good. Anything that covers up sin or seeks to justify wrongdoing is the polar opposite of this love that Paul is talking about. So in our relationships, what he's saying is that this God kind of love doesn't try and sweep sin under the rug. It finds way or find ways to try and get away with bad behavior or put up with injustice. Instead, God's kind of love in our relationships treasures truth. It pursues righteousness, it celebrates good behavior, and it promotes virtue. It has nothing to hide. Basically, to exhibit God's kind of love, what we need to understand is that we must have God's perspective on sin and righteousness. And the more that we love the truth, the better we can love those around us. And so I was thinking about this in the context of our relationships, and I was thinking about how much I really enjoy when people point out sin in my life. No, no, I don't. Uh, but there are some people that are like professional grade A at this, right? Like this is their lifestyle and they like to pay attention to the way everyone else is living and I've found that most often those people are hiding an awful lot of things in their own lives. But then I got to thinking about this list and I got to think about um, the Apostle Paul and that he kind of knew what he was talking about here and that this is one of the last things that he discusses in regard to this kind of love and some of us need to be reminded of that. Um, because I think if we, if we focus on loving the way the first part of this passage of Scripture is describing, I think you and I would be in a much better place to receive and to give uh, help to those that need help. Don't you think? Imagine with me that if you had experienced from someone you love a love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, a love that doesn't demand its own way, a love that isn't irritable, a love that keeps no record of being wronged. I think you would probably agree with me that if you love that way, you posture yourself well to be able to have a conversation with somebody, don't you think? Because we would know where they're coming from because we've already experienced all of these other things. And I think, my friends, I think that's beautiful. And my fear is that there's some people that will champion truth before they love this way. And in doing that, you see, we need to be reminded of this. There's a big difference between speaking truth and truth being heard. Do you hear me? That's important. It's important for us to understand it's one thing to speak truth. It's another thing completely for that truth to be heard. Could I just say that I think this is equally as important for us in our efforts to share our faith with others? Because some are so passionate about communicating the truth of God, which is a good thing, but they're not even coming close to loving this way, so the message will never be heard. You see, I think the Apostle Paul really understands the importance of us learning to to have a love that reflects the love of our God. And it's not that somehow we've minimized the importance of truth and righteousness, but it's that by the way that we live and the way that we love, we've postured ourselves to be able to have hard conversations sometimes or to share truth with people that would have resistance to that. But you see what happens is a heart is tenderized when we love this way. The Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about. 
Okay, let's keep moving. Now let's look at verse seven. <clears throat> this is God's kind of love, and it also is a kind of love, and we this is amazing. Look at verse seven. This kind of love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. What does this mean? It means that it's God-breathed, and what comes out of that is perseverance and trust and optimism. It's a love that never gives up. If you study the etymology of this word, I can tell you what it is. It's a military term. Never give up. It's what the rank and file would say and communicate to each other. Even if I die, I'm not giving up this position because I know that it matters. Listen, I know that we all want to be loved this way. And isn't there something about the way that we speak, a belief in one another and optimism regardless of the situation and speak positivity into someone's life that I believe you can make it. I believe that you're going to overcome. I believe that you can do this. You see, love believes the best that is possible. Love always gives the benefit of the doubt and it takes people at their highest and best, not their lowest and their worst. And, and we all know this to be true. People tend to become what we believe in them and what we speak into them. They either live up or down to your expectations. And this is especially true in our family relationships. And so can I just speak, first of all, to those of you that are still raising children. And I don't care how old they are. If you have kids, you're still raising them. And sometimes it's important to know what to say and what not to say. But let me tell you something. Your voice is powerful. And my mom is one of my biggest encouragers. And when mom says, Dougie, you did good, and I'm 50. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. And so I want to encourage you as parents to never give up to always believe, to always speak with positive words about what we see and believe in our kids. This is so powerful. Spouses, listen to me. Your voices to one another matter, and the way that you believe in each other matters. What a difference it makes when husbands and wives and parents and children, and listen, teachers to their students and coaches to their athletes and friends to their friends and bosses to their, to their employees and coworkers to each other and small group members to each other. When we believe in each other, what a difference it makes when we have to encounter and walk through the darkest times of life that we can say and we can know that those that love me believe in me and even when I don't see a way, they believe there's a way and they're praying there's a way. And what does love do in an impossible situation? Even when it seems as though there's no answer, we know but God. God is still capable. God is still able. So we never give up. We never lose hope because God can. And there's something inspiring in the way that we love each other when we believe this way, when we encourage each other this way. And that, it kind of reminds me of this story that I, that I read recently. It's, uh, this, this gentleman was traveling for work, and he was going to be out of town for a couple of days. He was in a different community. Some of you know how this feels. And he had a few hours to blow before <clears throat> a, a dinner appointment. 
for work, and he was driving through this community, and he saw this baseball field, and there was a little league baseball game going on, and he thought, well, I, I, I like why. I used to watch my kids play little league. I'm just going to drive over there. I can, I can spend a few minutes watching these kids play. That might be fun. And so he found his parking spot is kind of out in the outfield, um, past where the kids were playing, and so he was walking in, and and he was walking towards the little right fielder who was there, who was playing with a great level of passion. He kept adjusting his hat and pounding his glove, and he was down in perfect stance, and, and he was just chirping with that kind of rhetoric to kind of build up the team. He's like, guys, let's just get this next out. Let's just get this next out, guys. We can do this. Pay attention now, guys, up to bat. And so the guy was walking by, and he was just impressed with the little right fielder's passion for the game. And he was like, hey, buddy. And the kid looked at him real quick. He's like, what? Come on, guys. Let's do it. Let's do it. He said, what's the score? And the kid looked at him. He said, 18 to nothing. And he said, whoa. He's like, seemed pretty passionate out there. Are you winning or losing? He's like, we're losing. Come on, guys. Let's get this out. And he saw this passion in this kid. And he's like, wow, you seem like you have some hope. He's like, hope? Are you kidding me? Come on, guys, let's get this out. He looked at the guy and he said, we haven't even batted yet. <laughs> and we might call that youthful optimism, but if that's what we call it, listen to me, we have lost something we need. You see, our hope isn't in our ability to get a hit. Our hope is in our God. And there should be different about Christ, something different about those that claim Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and, and are serving an incredibly powerful God who can do anything. And so there should be an optimism like that in us. And, and we should live differently. Our love should look differently. So let me remind you of the entirety of this text that we've been reading, uh, verses 4 through 7 again. And I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about the way you're loving. And I want you to think about what those that are closest, nearest and dearest to you are experiencing. And I want you to see if the love of God is inspiring in you a different kind of hope, a different kind of love that will change their lives. You see, your love to others should be patient. It should be kind. This love should not be jealous or boastful, or proud, or rude. You see, this love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And when we read that together, I think every once in a while we need to be reminded that this isn't just fairy tale talk. It's not easy. But when people love this way, it is a game changer. And so today, because of the authenticity of Josh and Christina, I want to share this story with you. So will you direct your attention to the screen? Christina and I met in 2009, we met at church in Southern California. Dating was like kind of challenging. We had to work through a lot of stuff there. And we were so proud of ourselves because we had so much figured out during our dating We life. thought we had so much figured <laughs> out. Even the sense of confidence of like, oh, we've done so much work on ourselves. We've, we understand ourselves so well. And like marriage is going to be a breeze. So we were yeah. like, okay, we're set up. 
We're ready to win. This is going to be great. Right. And so our first year was good. The reality is we both had jobs. We were financially, at that time, fairly comfortable. You know, yeah. there were no kids. Yeah. Life is, we didn't think this at the time, probably, but now looking back, life was very easy. And so yeah. the level of health probably required out of us in the early stages of our marriage wasn't, wasn't that much. We moved from Orange County to Los Angeles, which doesn't seem like a big move, but it was a new community, a new church, new friends. Like, they can be good, but they can also be stressors. Pretty soon after, I got pregnant. Every night, he's up for hours crying, screaming. Poor guy could yeah. not get any rest. I mean, it just escalated into this kind of survival mode. Mm -hmm. It just felt like we couldn't catch up. It just felt like everything was always intense. Intense sleep deprivation, intense Bites. On top of all that, I also, my job, which had been going great at a church, all of a sudden, I'm having a lot of conflict with the person who's managing me, and so that's becoming this stressful thing too. And so it's just everything in my life is making me feel like I'm failing. It was too much stress. It was too much required of me. I didn't know how to do it, and so I withdrew. The team I was leading at that time at this church, I had bad boundaries with everyone on that team. There was one person particularly her and Christina were friends. Our families had done stuff together. There's a lot of kind of a natural closeness there. I was desperately looking for a place where I felt good enough. It felt like something alluring and interesting and like the one thing in my life that it was like, ooh, this is going well. And what seemed to me to be like this perfectly normal working dynamic turned a corner very quickly. Nothing had been said or done that crossed into like the realm of affair yet, but that was, that was, what was gonna happen probably. It would blow up um, my entire ministry life, my family, everything I cared about. I could tell something was wrong. I mean, he was just not himself. He was clearly distraught and not saying it. So I leaned in and was asking him about that. And that's when he shared with me, like just about the same week that I found out I was pregnant, you know, being a mom of a small child and finding out that you're pregnant and then, you know, your husband sharing this this issue is very stressful and overwhelming. I was angry and I like I I mean there was rage there in a way that I have never experienced before. And there was confusion and there was pain and there was hurt. So as Christina's processing all of this stuff, I get fired with Christina six months pregnant and me just a shell of myself. I was praying. I knew that I had God and he was with me. I knew that Josh belonged to God and God was bringing him through something. It's not like I always had that clarity of faith and belief, but I could always come back to it when it felt like everything was falling apart. I knew that I was God's and Josh was God's. God drew us to each other and gave us the strength to keep going. I failed at everything. I'd let everyone down, everything I had always been so afraid of. I had to look at that and say, okay, so who am I now? to come to terms in that moment that I'm the same person I've always been, which is this kid who's loved by God.
and that all of the uh, all of the wounds, all of the arrows, all of the mistakes, all of the stuff I piled on top of all the things that happened in my life, all of my and all of my failures. Who am I? I'm like, oh, I'm God's kid. <laughs> Accepted just as I am. And it turns out when you start trying to lean into that reality and really like believe it at the core of your being, you start being able to love other people better. <laughs> you start being able to love your wife and kids better. You're not trying to prove who you are to people. You're not basing like your self-worth off of your ability to achieve tasks or fix problems. Instead, you're just free to love. What I don't want to describe our story as was like, man, we went through all this stuff and boy, is it now easy. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's really hard. I mean, there are so many stressors in our life right now, but we've learned how to love each other in a way that actually is able to persevere, that actually is able to stay committed, that actually is able to continue to lean toward each other. It's like we know how to do that because we're experiencing that in our relationship with God. It's like we're learning how to be loved and then to love each other through that. More so than we ever were before, we're able to really truly just love each other. Yeah, just think about like 10 years from now. Hey. <laughs> Can you help me thank Josh and Christina for their authenticity? <clears throat> so let me go back uh, to this main thought that we want to finish with today, and that's this. To love God's way, I need to know God's love. There's a verse in 1 John that I think unpacks kind of this description of this root of ours that needs to go deep into God's love that's going to enable us to be able to love God's way. In 1 John 4.16, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. <clears throat> and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is so powerful. There's a lot in that verse, but let's just suffice it to say that it is very, very important for us to know, and it is vitally important for us to believe so that we can fully experience God's love. And when we've experienced this love that is described here and all throughout Scripture, from our incredible God, then there's something that comes alive in us in a different way, and our expression of that love to those around us changes. <clears throat> Knowing and believing in God's love for me is the key for me to love in an extraordinary way, and the same is true for you. So real quick, what I would like to do is reflect on a couple of things that perhaps maybe you didn't know or have never thought about, or maybe some things that you haven't thought about in a while, that help to describe God's kind of love, okay? So, you might want to write these down. Your assignment this week will be to go back and take a look at this, um, these things, this list that I'm going to give to you and reflect on it this week. We can know the depth of someone's love, first of all, by what it costs. Have you thought about that before? That somehow we can understand the depth of God's love for us by what it costs. It's a pretty remarkable thought, and I hope that you would spend some time this week thinking about that. Please remember that Jesus sacrificed his life for us, and there's no greater price that could be paid. The depth of God's love for us can be seen in the price that Jesus paid for us. The first part of John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son. 
So we can know the depth of God's love for us, and we can know the depth for the love of others in our lives by what it costs them. Number two, you can understand the depths of God's love when we understand how little we deserve it. I think that's important for us to stay connected to, and perhaps the story of the good news in the gospel has become so familiar that you've started to maybe own this in a way that you kind of have some spiritual pride related to, and we can't let that happen. We need to be reminded that there's nothing that we could have ever done to deserve that kind of love, love that would pay that kind of price. You see, if you'd lived a perfect life and done absolutely everything that God would ever require of you, then you might have opportunity to think, I kind of deserve it. But we know that that is not the case, and we've all fallen short. You see, we, we are able to understand the depths of God's love better when we allow a verse, which is one of my favorites, Romans 5.8, to be one that we reflect on, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Think about that. You see, who pays the price of their life for someone who hasn't chosen yet whether they will even accept or receive that love, that would just be ridiculous, don't you think? And yet we can see that we can understand the depths of someone's love by how little we deserve it. If that's not enough, how about this? Spend some time this week reflecting on and allowing your heart to be connected to the benefits of this love. Think about that for just a second. Again, it's likely that you've gotten to a place where perhaps you've never thought about it or you're just so familiar with it that you've forgotten the benefits of being in relationship with God and his plan for you to experience forgiveness and for you to experience the fullness of an abundant life right now here today. That is beautiful. That is incredible for you to escape oppressive captivity and have freedom for the rest of your life. We would just have to agree together, wouldn't we, that that is incredible. This is awesome. A benefit of relationship with God is game-changing in our lives today. What? What if? What if that's not where it ended, but rather it continued And that this love that he has extended to us also rescues us from eternal torment and provides a place for us with great certainty here in this life that we will spend eternity in the presence of God with fullness and joy forever. What? Who wouldn't get excited about that? This is incredible. And again, all too familiar. Talked about likely so much that it's lost its edge in you. This blows my mind. This is incredible that I would have the opportunity to experience an extravagant love from our God that would provide for us a path to be able to have fullness of life now and eternity with him forever. The last part of John 3.16 says this, for this is how God loved the world that he gave his his one and only son so that Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And finally, this week, I would love for you to spend some time reflecting on how we can know the depth of someone's love by the willingness with which they love. You see, if someone is forced to love me, that doesn't feel good. That's not really real love. But if someone willingly chooses To love me the way God has, that is awesome. 
And we can see that love is deep in proportion to its willingness to love. A love is extremely deep when love willingly chooses you. It is freely and willingly given and not even close to being forced. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Talk about willing. That is our God. In your assignment this week, and here, here I believe this with all of my heart, you could spend the rest of your life in pursuit of understanding God's love and never fully grasp it. Because it's so amazing. But look at me. I double dog dare you to try. Dig in deep. And allow God's love to change you from the inside out. And there might be someone here today that has never fully experienced this love that God has extended to us. Whether you're in this room or watching online, you can. And the challenge then for all of us as well is that we would continue a lifelong pursuit of knowing and experiencing this love because it will change you forever. You will see relationships and people differently and you will love differently. Can you bow your heads for just a second? Lord, will you forgive us for not prioritizing understanding this love the way we should? Lord, I know as I even was preparing for this and spending time thinking about some of these things that help us to understand your love, the depths of your love, man, it's just been a great week as I've reflected on these things and and Lord, I know it's just scratching the surface. And forgive me for taking your love for granted. Lord, I pray for each of us here that we would reprioritize our pursuit of understanding your love. And perhaps you're the one that's here today or watching online and you would say, Doug, I've never said yes to a relationship with God. I've never said yes to an acceptance of this love that you've talked about today. And I know it's had some negative implications on me because I haven't. And I see when you describe this God-like love that should be emulated in my life, I'm falling very, very short. And today I realize I'll never be able to do that without God's help. If that's you, would you just simply pray this prayer? God, I need you. I thank you for your love. It's an extravagant love. And it's one that I'm barely beginning to understand right now. And I realize that this is just the beginning of a new lifelong pursuit of knowing you and knowing your love. But today I ask you to forgive me, to be the Lord of my life. And I thank you that you willingly sacrificed in a great way for me to be able to experience and know your love that would change my today and give me an entirely different perspective for the reality of what I will experience in the future. I ask that your power and your love would be at work in me so that I would be able to love and care for others in a way that would look like the love that you've extended to me. Father, for the rest of us that are here today, as we reprioritize this week, staying connected to your extravagant love, Father, may we be changed. Hold us accountable to loving like you. 
so that the world around us, especially those that are closest, would be able to see and know that I am a follower and a disciple of you by the way I love. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray.